Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Gamal Hennessy. Gamal is a comic book attorney and business consultant with more than two decades of experience. He's currently wrapping up a Kickstarter for his upcoming book, The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing, which is a comprehensive and easy-to-understand overview of the business of comic book publishing. It's edited by Aftershock Editor-in-Chief Mike Martz and features a forward from writer and heavy metal executive editor Joseph P. Illich. When he's not practicing law, Gamal writes novels and provides both business advice and legal representation for comic book creators and publishers. Gamal, what's going on? Welcome to the show. We're really excited to have you. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? Are you based on the West Coast, East Coast? I'm actually in New York City. I've actually been in New York City most of my life and all of my career. As a comic book attorney and a business consultant, obviously a lot of the big publishers are based in New York. Pre-COVID, how important was it to be in New York so that you could actually go to these publishers and be around that scene and that world? Actually, for comics, it's not very important, at least now in the 21st century, it's not that important to be in a city like New York or Los Angeles if you're representing comic book publishers and creators or if you happen to be an independent comic book creator. Because the comic book creation process, the production process, is so geographically dispersed and everything is so spread out that the only people who really needed to be in New York or LA or one of those major cities were the people who actually did the day-to-day work inside like a Marvel or a DC. Everyone else can pretty much live wherever they want as long as they have a decent internet connection and can access the servers to get the product out. And is that even more so now that you know everyone's working remote during quarantine? I imagine that pretty much anyone can work anywhere and you know it doesn't matter. Yes. I don't think it's fundamentally changed that much for anyone on the creator side or anyone on the actual production side. When you get into things like you know printing and distribution, there's certain people that have to be in certain places just because you're dealing with a more physical product. But up until that point, you can pretty much be wherever you want to be. As far as the theme of this episode, we've never talked to a comic book attorney. So I've got a lot of questions and I'm excited to learn a lot from you. As far as themes, I would love to frame this episode around your writing process, writing a book about the business of independent comic book publishing. Does that sound good? Yep. Sounds very good. Before we even get into that, I do have a question about what you do. You're a comic book attorney and a business consultant. In the comic book world, I imagine there's also agents who also do legal-related stuff. Could you walk us through, for those who don't know, the differences between what a comic book attorney does, what a comic book agent does, what the differences are? Okay. Well, a comic book agent is somebody who's actually getting work for an artist or a writer or someone who's getting a creator-driven book in front of certain publishers to close a deal has a very specific and unique skill set and set of attributes 
the agent actually knows the right people for the types of books that he or she is going to be trying to place. And they also are familiar with the terms of the type of deals that go into that specific process. For a comic book attorney, it's a much broader idea because what you might be doing is helping someone set up a publishing company from scratch. You might be the one who is negotiating the work for hire agreements so that different artists and creative people can come in and make a book in the first instance. You might be helping protect intellectual property in terms of copyrights and trademarks for a particular book. You might also be working on the licensing deals or the multimedia deals if a property actually crosses over into wider circulation outside of print and digital publishing. So there's a lot of different legal structures that impact how the comic book industry works, whether you're talking about distribution agreements or sales agreements or looking over convention rules to actually understand what your clients can and cannot do in a convention space. So there's a lot of different aspects that a comic book attorney has to focus on in terms of helping their client, where an agent is a much more narrow kind of specialized focus. And what is your relationship working with, I imagine you work directly with an agent sometimes as well, and what is your relationship with comic book writers, would you say? Well, most of the time, I don't work with agents. I mean, I've worked with a couple of them over the years when I was at Marvel and when I was working with some independents who were larger who had agents. But usually my role and their role are kind of sequential. So I don't really necessarily have to. There's not a lot of interaction between the two sets of professionals. Writers, I actually work a lot more with because the writer, in my experience, more of the genesis of a project will come from the writer more than the artist. The artist kind of takes the vision that the writer has and kind of puts it onto paper. But the initial ideas come from the writer. So the people who come to me with, they need to start a company, or they need to actually create a collaboration agreement for the project, or they need to secure the copyright, or they need to do have a trademark search done. A lot of that comes from the writers that I work with. And I think if I actually went back into my list of clients, I would probably have more writer clients than any other type of client. You mentioned the genesis of a project. I would love to begin our journey talking about your writing process with the genesis of your book that you've finished and are now kickstartering. Can you tell us about where this idea came from? I imagine that it's you know just working in the industry and seeing kind of the needs to inform writers and comic book creators, but where did it come from and why did you choose to kind of move forward with it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I noticed there was a gap both in the services that I was providing and the literature that was available in the market because a lot of my work involved helping clients in the initial stages of getting a book out into the world. So I would help them set up their company, help them negotiate their contracts, help them protect the underlying intellectual property, and then they could go out into the world confident that the legal aspects of their book were well protected. But I realized that those individuals didn't really have the background and they didn't really have the support for them to understand project management, 
or marketing or advertising or sales or any of those other aspects that are equally important to improve the potential for success for any book. So I looked around for literature that I could at least use to help, you know, guide people. Well, this is what you need to do if you want to, you know, market your comic book effectively, or these are the different distribution options that you have. And while there was a lot of widely dispersed information, there was no one comprehensive guide for the entire process of independent comic book publishing. There were quite a few very good books on the creative process. And there are some books, very good books on the legal aspects, certain legal aspects of the comic book industry and comic book cases. But there wasn't one comprehensive guide. So since I had a lot of both business and legal experience in the years that I'd been in various positions in the comic book industry, I decided I'm going to use that as the foundation, build that up with quite a bit of research on my part, bring in someone like Mike Martz, who has been in the industry for about as long as I have on the production side, because I really wanted someone who had actually gotten books out the door to give that perspective on the project. And then we wrapped up by bringing in Joseph Illich to kind of give his overview of what the impact of the book would be to people who are actually being able to read it now in the times that we live in. You mentioned your experience in the comic book industry. Before we continue with process, I would love to time travel back to the beginning of your career and hear about you know how you got started and how you ended up being a comic book attorney. Well, I started the career in comics started with comics. And I started reading comics probably when I was about five or six. Because back then, in the newsstand era, comics were very easy to find and very easy to buy because they didn't cost very much. And I have read comics up through the, you know, the growth of the comic book shop market era, all the way into the period where I was in law school. And when I was in law school, I was probably reading comics just as much as I was reading anything that I was supposed to be reading for law school. And it so happened that a colleague of mine was offered a position at a Japanese anime and manga company called Central Park Media. And they didn't want the job because they already had an offer from another firm. So they reached out to me because they knew I was comfortable with the or familiar with the subject matter and the material. So I went from going to law school I graduated law school and I instantly became the general counsel for Central Park Media. And most of that work was negotiating licenses with Japanese firms to bring in pre-existing content. So we brought in anime, manga, we translated it in for the U.S. market and distributed it there. And I did that for about four years up until about 2001 when the first Spider-Man movie came out. The first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie came out, I should be specific. And Marvel had decided at that point that they wanted to branch out into the Japanese market because they did not have a very strong foothold in that geographic area. So because negotiating with the Japanese was a very specific type of process and they needed someone with that experience, they brought me in and I became their international publishing manager. But because negotiating with the Japanese is something that takes time, there were other responsibilities I was given, including helping with 
some of the merchandising deals that went along with the comic book films that were being created at that time. So X-Men, Hulk, Fantastic Four, and also working on quite a few of the employment deals, bringing in freelance artists to work on a lot of the books that were coming up during that time. So Marvel Knights and Ultimates and things like that. And one of the things that I realized was that the comic book artists and writers that I was dealing with did not have legal representation. You give them a contract, say, let your attorney take a look at this. And you quickly came to the realization that most of them didn't have attorneys. So when I left Marvel, what I did was I started a company called Creative Contract Consulting, which was designed to provide that service that was missing in the comic book industry. Give freelance creators and artists at least the understanding to know what their contract said and how they could go about you know, navigating the legal aspects of the industry without doing it on their own. So that is how I got to the point where, and then I, I worked, I did creative contract consulting for about 15 years. And I recently joined another company called Global Comics, which is a digital marketing and distribution platform for comics. And I am now the vice president of content for that company, in addition to continuing to run my own firm. As far as your writing experience, have you written before? Walk us through your writing career leading up to this point. Well, this is not my first book. I believe this is my seventh book. The first book I wrote in 2010 was called Seize the Night. It was actually a book about the business and cultural impact of nightlife in New York City because I was working in that field for a few years as well. And I felt that because of the political climate in New York City, the city needed to actually have a clear understanding of how important bars and clubs and lounges were to the overall health of the city. And then in 2013 to 2017, I wrote six espionage novels. They're all connected in the same continuity. And I wrote those primarily as a creative outlet. I know for a fact that I can't draw. And I also knew that comics as a financial investment is significantly more expensive than writing prose because to write prose, you don't need an artist or an anchor or a flatter or a colorist. You just need to write. So I wrote those six books. And then I guess when I realized I was going to be writing this book, I stopped all of those other projects and focused all of my efforts, all of my writing efforts on this particular project. What was the biggest challenge going from having written fiction to moving towards this book, which is nonfiction? What was the transition look like? Was it pretty easy? Were there a lot of hurdles to kind of learn? Or was it pretty straightforward because you've been working in the industry so long? I think the biggest difference between, at least for me, writing prose to writing nonfiction is confirming almost every point that you're making. Because when you're writing fiction, you can use a certain amount of real world information, but you don't have to verify and justify every statement that you make, or you don't have to have 
100% accurate details on every geographic area or everything that's happening, the information you have has to serve the narrative and move the narrative and, you know, help define and flesh out the characters. But when you're writing nonfiction, especially a book like this, every point, every element of the, the work has to fit in a logical progression and it has to be verified. In terms of references, I use maybe 1,300, 1,400 footnotes because every time I described what a particular aspect of the industry was or I gave certain numbers on how the industry had progressed or I gave a historical fact, there had to be some sort of reference, some sort of footnote. And keeping track of all of that and kind of balance it with the overall structure of what I was trying to say, that was the more challenging part. And I guess the most fundamental part is to make it all logical and understandable to a person that may not have a business or legal background or mindset. Because I understand a book like this is primarily going to serve a creative community, but a creative community by definition, usually does not have a lot of business and legal skills or background. So I had to boil things down to their essence to make sure that at every point, I never made the assumption that a person would know what I was talking about unless I explained what I was talking about and gave a reference for what I was saying so that if they needed to dive deeper into any subject that I cover in the book, that they could go into that very seamlessly and make sure that they had the comfort and the confidence in what I was saying to be able to move through the process and, you know, help improve the chances for their book. You mentioned the logic to the flow of the book. I imagine after you came up with the idea, the first step you took would be an outline, right? Did you sit down and kind of bullet point out the various categories of things that comic book writers and creators want to know about? How did you sift through your experience and really kind of compartmentalize the different subjects you wanted to talk about? Well, I decided the most logical way to structure the book was from a linear standpoint. So I started with the inspiration that a creator would get. So to get them to the point where they say, I want to create comics, and that would be the genesis of this journey, and then walk them through each and every point and each and every major set of decisions that they would have to make in the development of this comic until they get to the very end where they have a fully formed company, they have a catalog of titles that they own and control, and they are now thinking about you know, what their next step is going to be now that they are a fully-fledged independent comic book publisher. Within the actual book itself, once you go through that linear process, I structured it in a question and answer sort of format, primarily because as an attorney and as a business consultant, a lot of the interactions I have with my clients are people saying, well, how do I do this? And what does this mean? Or how do I approach that? So I use that very same structure in the book itself. So every major section and every chapter in that section and every subheading in that chapter is a question about a different aspect of the business of comic book publishing. And within those, each one of those sections, I answer the question 
in such a way that the reader can decide for themselves how much of that particular portion is relevant to their comic book publishing. Because in writing this book, you quickly come to the realization that there's not a one-size-fits-all sort of answer for comic book publishers, because everyone has different circumstances in their life, different resources that they bring to the table, and they're telling a different type of story. So at every juncture, what I try to do is lay out what the major decisions were, lay out the pros and cons of each option within a major decision, and then help them understand how those decisions are going to impact the rest of the process. So at the end of the book, everyone who reads it can actually develop a very specific business model that is unique to their circumstances and the story they want to tell. Walk us through the step between what you just outlined, figuring out the logic and the order to it and the questions. What did that next phase look like when it was kind of going from knowing what you want to say and getting to a point where you're ready to actually type it out? Because a lot of the times there's research involved, whether that's note cards, going back through your emails, looking through how you've worded, you know, answers to certain questions. Walk us through kind of that whole process of just putting together all the info that was going to be within each section of this book. In every book that I've written, fiction or nonfiction, I've always had an outline. It was always a detailed outline in anything that I did. When it was the fiction book, the outline covered all of the beats within each scene. When I'm writing a nonfiction book like this, all of the elements of the outline is every point and every option that goes into each one of the steps. So, And then within that, you have to put in all of the links to whatever references or whatever research is going to support that statement or set of statements. So whether that was books that I had read, and at the end of the book, I list out a pretty comprehensive list of all of the books that had a major impact on the writing of this book. And there's about two dozen of those. There was the online research in both the comic book press and the mainstream business press that went into those supporting statements. I also did about two or three dozen interviews with various individuals within the comic book industry that I knew who had these specific type of perspective and specializations that could support a lot of the things that I was saying. So the book wound up being about 450 pages long, but the outline itself wound up being like 125 pages long. So it was detailed enough so that every time I went into a chapter, I knew exactly where I was going to be starting, where I was going to be finishing, and how that flow was going to work. All I had to do was take it out of this kind of garbled, heavily mutated outline thing and put it into something that is much more pleasant and palatable to read. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, 
go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. One of the example questions listed in the Kickstarter is how much money do I need to publish my comic? Could you walk us through the example of your process for writing that specific subject? Sure. When I was looking at that specific aspect of the book, I knew I couldn't just give vague generalizations of how much money one needs to start a comic because A, it is a very sensitive subject. B, it is a subject that could fill a comic book creator with a lot of anxiety because in most cases, they're not working with a lot of liquid capital that they could just throw at a project. So I wanted to start with the basics like, okay, in determining how much money you need, well, what are the different categories of things that you're going to have to spend money on? So then I list, well, there's your initial startup cost, creative cost, your marketing cost, your distribution cost, and down the line. And I explain what each one of those costs entailed. I also then went into the idea that every cost does not actually apply to every book. So for example, if you know you're doing a black and white book, then you don't have to worry about paying for the colorist. You don't have to worry about paying for the flatter. If you know that you're not going to be doing printing, you're just going to be releasing it digital, well, then all of the print costs kind of drop out. I also try to explain the relationship between the money that's needed to start a comic and the time that that money needs to be available. Because comic books is a mechanical, from a production standpoint, it is a linear process and all the money doesn't have to be available at the beginning of the process. Over time, you'll need, at various milestones, you'll need some money to pay the people who need to be paid. But that's something that you can use to your advantage and leverage time to kind of help the money situation. So once you actually lay that basic groundwork, then you say, okay, this is how you create a budget for your comic so that you can confidently move forward knowing that you're not going to be scrambling for money to get your book out the door. Tell us about the revision process. I imagine there was a point where you had fleshed out each subject and you maybe had a first draft. How many drafts did you ultimately work through? And then I imagine at some point the editor, Mike Mars, got involved. So can you walk us through kind of getting it from first draft to finishing the book? Actually, I reached out to Mike while I was maybe three quarters of the way through the outline. 
because what I didn't want to do because of the process of this book, I didn't want to create the entire outline or even worse, the entire first draft and then have Mike come back to me and say, actually, comics doesn't work like that and you have to change the whole thing. So I let Mike see the entire outline and then he commented on different aspects of the outline, emphasized this more, don't worry about this as much. So then when I started writing, we were kind of working on a rolling editorials type of process. So every month or two months, I would give him another five chapters or four chapters. And then he would actually give me feedback on those while I was writing the next section. So that by the time we got to the end, he only had to do another like five or six chapters. And then he went over the whole book again, just to make sure that it was coherent because he was basically going at it as if it was a, I guess the best analogy is like a single issue story. And then he, you know, if we were going to release the trade paperback, he went and, you know, looked at the whole thing again to make sure it all made sense. So that was the editorial process from his standpoint. From my standpoint, there was a lot of editing as I was doing research because there were certain aspects of the industry that were changing as I was writing the book. So the challenge became, well, you're writing this based on the knowledge and research that you had up until, call it November 2018. But between November 2018 and when I finished writing it in April of 2020, a lot of things changed. In terms of distribution, we went from having one major distributor to two or three emerging distributors, things had changed. We had gone from a very robust and very quantifiable convention system to a system where there has not been a convention for comics, a substantial one, since February. We've gone through shifts in how distribution has worked. We've gone through highs and lows in actual sales numbers new trends have actually started to pop up. So there's been a lot of editing and a lot of tweaking of the overall manuscript for the past, I want to say, year, year and a half. But at a certain point, because it's a book, you have to kind of stop. You have to put it to bed. So I think the last time that I put new information into the book was probably the last week of July. So after that, now the book is old. As of August, there's no August 2020 information in this book. There's also a foreword from writer and heavy metal executive editor Joseph P. Illich, who we've had on the show. We've never really talked about forewords for books on the podcast. I would love to know what the thought process is, how do you decide who to write that, and what is the context and the significance and importance of having that at the beginning? Well, I think it's even more so now when you have people, especially if people are going to read a book digitally, what they'll do is they'll download the first few pages of the book to get a feel for, is this a book that they want to actually spend money on? And someone who can put the book into context to actually help people understand why they would want to read this book and why this book is actually relevant to them has always been important in nonfiction books. And I think it's especially important for a book like this, where you're actually talking to a community 
that is not necessarily predisposed to this type of book. Like I said, there's a lot of books about the creative process of comic books, whether you're talking about classic books like How to Draw Comics, The Marvel Way, to Scott McCloud's books, to the recent book that Bendis put out. Four words, people understand intuitively why they want that book. This book is a little bit different. So what I wanted was someone to speak about the impact and the importance of the book who understood both the business side and the creative side. So I reached out to Joe because I've known him and worked with him for about a year, year and a half. So I knew he understood both sides of this situation. And he had the perspective and the ability to actually communicate that perspective, not just for the book in a vacuum, but for the book in terms of how it actually is going to impact the current state of affairs in the comic book industry and in the general society that we're currently experiencing. So I reached out to him and he was very excited to be part of the project because he had seen the work that I'd been doing on the book online for, you know, eight, nine months. And when I sent him the, just the outline and I sent him the, well, the table of contents, he instantly knew what the impact of the book would be. And he was able to actually create something very powerful to start the book off. Love that. You've been kickstartering the book. The Kickstarter, when this episode comes out, will be just wrapping up. Can you walk us through the importance of a Kickstarter? You said that the book's basically finished. So how does creating a Kickstarter help you? Where does it tie into the next steps for getting this book out into the world? Well, the unique aspect of this Kickstarter is basically it's a response to the situation that came up in 2020. Because originally, this book wasn't going to have a Kickstarter. Originally, this book was going to be launched, and we were going to make our big splash in New York Comic Con for 2020. So when I realized, I was just wrapping up, I guess, the last two or three chapters of the book in March, and I realized that when the pandemic hit, it was probably a good bet that there wasn't going to be any major conventions this year. So I had someone that I brought in for marketing, and they suggested, well, you can still create an event for the book to get people excited for it, even if it's not New York Comic Con. And Kickstarter can be that event because it is a limited time, very intense kind of focus on whatever project you're doing. If we reach out to the creative community and the comic book press with a project like this, then you could actually get the exposure and the kind of excitement that you might have gotten at Comic-Con, but in a way that's actually safer for everyone involved. I wasn't necessarily the most enthusiastic supporter of the idea, but that is one of the things, one of the things I put in the book is if you're doing independent publishing, it's always a good idea to actually talk to people who are experts in whatever aspect of production that you are doing. Because just because you are an independent publisher does not mean you have to do things yourself because every aspect of independent comic book publishing 
is a profession and a career in and of itself. So people are going to know things about different aspects of the business that you would have never have been exposed to. So in taking my own advice and bringing in someone who actually understood marketing, even though I think the Kickstarter was a good idea, the Kickstarter was clearly a better idea than anything I was going to come up with because the response that we got back from the professional community, the comic book media, and comic book creators across the board has been immense. So it is a good example of taking your own advice and understanding when you don't know what you don't know and how that can help you. For those who are listening and interested in getting the book, did you have an estimated release date for when it's available and for purchase outside of the Kickstarter community? We don't actually have a date for the retail release of the book. We're currently starting negotiations with various publishers who might be picking up the retail aspect of the book. So I'm assuming the book will be available for purchase on a retail level in 2021, but I am not sure about that. I cannot give a specific date. If you're listening, stay tuned and we'll keep you updated on it. Before we get into some bonus questions, what's next for you, yourself, and your career? Obviously, you've done a lot already. You've written multiple books. Could we expect other books like this in the future from you? Would you ever change genres or mediums? Would you write a comic? You're writing a book about the comic book industry. Could we see that ever? Or is there something else maybe that you're working on over the next few years, five years? I'm actually in January going to start doing the research for the follow-up book to this because this book is specifically about independent comic book publishing. And it serves as a foundation for people to understand the entire process of the comic book industry and getting a book out into the world. But the follow-up book is going to focus specifically on freelance comic book creation, where I'm actually going to walk through the business models and the mindset for someone who is actually creating comics for someone else. And then after that, I'm going to work on a book specifically for creator-owned or creator-driven comics, because that too is a slightly different business model with slightly different economics and focus than independent publishing. This first book is going to be the foundation for that series of books. So a lot of what's going to be in those follow-up books is going to refer back to the business of independent comic book publishing, but just looking at it from those unique business perspectives. In terms of writing my own comic, there was a comic. I mean, I have a script for a comic. And I had an artist for a comic, but they too, when we were actually working on the deal, they were working on a Kickstarter for a, a side project that they were doing. And that side project quickly became a massive success that got picked up by a publisher and optioned for a film. And so then they never had the time or wherewithal to work on my comic. But somewhere along the lines, working through all these business-related books, if I can squeeze in the time, I will put together a team and I will you know, get the book out into the world and hopefully use some of the things that I put in my own book to help make the book a success. Kamal, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? My whole career is based on seemingly random questions. <laughs> The first one being, I know we've talked about your writing process, but I would love to hear your perspective on one of the questions that's actually in the book. 
So we had talked about how much money do I need to publish my comic as an example earlier. But what about intellectual property management? That's something we talk a lot about on the podcast. These days, IP is very important and it's something that a lot of film studios are mining. Do you have suggestions, some insights from the book itself that you'd like to share regarding IP? Well, when you're talking about intellectual property, I think the thing, there's three fundamental things that you have to understand about the intellectual property that you're working with. A, do you own it or control it? Because you can make comics with original ideas, or you can make comics with what they call public domain ideas, something like a Robin Hood or a Sherlock Holmes, something that everyone kind of owns, or the public kind of owns. Or you can use like a licensed work to use something that is already existing and leverage those communities for your book. As long as you understand that you have the right to make that book, then that is the first step. And the second step, and probably the more fundamental step, is whatever intellectual property you are going to be working with, you have to, as an independent publisher, you have to be comfortable with the idea that you love this idea enough to spend what might be the next few months or years, or in some cases, the rest of your career could be defined by the idea that you've come up with. There are some writers who, you know, they bounce around to a lot of different ideas and they're known for that when you think of like an Alan Moore or a Frank Miller or someone like that. But it's just as likely that you are defined in your career as a comic book creator by one idea, whether you're talking about what Stan Sakai has done with Usagi Ojimbo or Bob Kane or, you know, Siegel and Schuster. If you're going to spend as much time and effort on these ideas, more time that you spend with your family, your friends, or anything else that you're doing, it has to be an idea that you love on an independent level so that you are able to, you're willing to invest the time and energy that it takes to get an independent comic book into the world. So it can't be any idea that you think is cool. It has to be an idea that you feel this is something you have to do because the process of it is so involved and challenging. Love that. You mentioned public domain, public domain characters, for instance, Robin Hood, I believe you referenced. For those writers who are intrigued by that idea, where's the best place to go to truly know what's public domain and what's not? Well, there's several different, there's actually a process that I list out in the book and based on the year that a book was released and what the current state of the copyright is for that book, there are several resources that you or your attorney can actually look through to determine whether a story is public domain or not. However, there are some safe bets that you can be confident that if you went with that idea you know, it would be public domain. So like Shakespeare, don't worry about Shakespeare being public domain. It is just go out and write your Shakespeare comic. You'll be fine. If you could take any comic book writer, creator, or anyone in the industry to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? If I could take any <laughs> writer, it would probably be, it would probably be Chris Claremont 
And I would probably take him to probably be like Chipotle. And I would probably get him whatever he wanted, including a margarita. Because <laughs> X-Men, that was the first kind of multifaceted. Because I was reading, started reading X-Men in like the 140s or 150s. That was, this is back in like 84, 85. And that was the one comic that I pretty much stayed with for almost almost 20 years. I mean, I couldn't, at a certain point, you can't keep up with all the spinoffs and, you know, other issues that are coming up. But that was, that was a mainstay for me for about, for about two decades. So thank him for that. You know, you get a margarita. Sure. I love that. I don't think anyone has said Chipotle yet. So that's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. If you had to choose one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to the writers who are listening, what would you say? The one piece of advice is make sure that comics is the medium that you actually want to work in. Because in the 21st century, a writer, someone who wants to get a story out into the world, has several different avenues that they can use to tell their story, whether it's prose or theater or film or streaming television or interactive or comics. Some stories, well, any story can be told in any medium, but some stories lend themselves to one medium over another. Comic books is a very specific type of industry that has its own social issues. It has its own distribution questionability. It has its own public perception that is a challenge for any writer. So if you want to write in comics, that's great. Everyone should write in comics, but you should understand why. And you should understand how you're going to approach it and what your definition of success is going to be. Because Joe Casada and Raina Telgemeier and Alex Ross are all very successful in comics, but they're all successful in very different ways and very different aspects. So figure out, one, why you want to be in comics, and two, what does success actually look like to you? Because the answers to those two questions will actually impact everything else that you do and every choice that you make throughout your career as a comic book professional. Love that. The last and most important question, did you have fun today with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I've done quite a few podcasts and interviews related to this book over the past three or four weeks. But None of them have actually asked about the process of writing this book. A lot of them have asked what was in the book, but the actual process of being a writer, which is something that I was fascinated by for at least the past you know, 10, 12 years in writing fiction and nonfiction, I used to love just talking to writers about their process. So this is the first podcast that actually brought that back home to me. So I appreciate that. We appreciate having you on the show. The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. For those listening, check out the Kickstarter. Like I said, it's wrapping up by the time this episode airs. But stay tuned for it. And stay tuned for its retail release as well. Thank you, Gamal. Did you want to plug anything else? Your website, social media, the Kickstarter itself? Yeah, if anybody wants to find me on social media, they could go to my website, which is creativecontractconsulting.com which is all one word, or the easier way is to go on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and just type in Gamal Hennessy, because there are not that many Gamal Hennessys in the world, you will find me if you just type in my name. 
thank you, Gamal, for your insights and your time. It was truly an honor. And I really think we were able to intersect writing and writing about the comic book world. So thank you again. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.